So, I have a question for you. What are we here to do? That's also the title for this episode, but I'm going to try to answer that one. You may disagree with me, and that's fine. But we're going to try and get there, at least together. Okay? Uh, I've been waiting to do this episode or this content, this idea for a bit, but I've been teaching a class to some middle schoolers and high schoolers about this, and so I couldn't do it too early or else they would listen to this potentially and then get the pun at the end of all of it. So today we're going to try to answer that question, what are we here to do? And just like last time, I'm going to preface by saying, keep mention or keep a, a mental note of something that stands out to you, something that jumps out at you, something that resonates within you that uh, is brought up during this episode, okay? And then go and have a conversation with someone. Go and take the content, take the idea that really jumped out at you and share it with someone else in person. And then maybe share it on Facebook or Twitter or something else. But the point is, pass it on. Because I'm going to try to answer this question through some of the wisdom and the input that I've gotten from other people and from hundreds of years of tradition and insights. So pass it on and uh, don't keep it just to yourself because I think this is really good stuff and man, I think it's really needed in the world, okay? So let's start. This one's called, So What Are We Here to Do? I uh, occasionally have conversations with teenagers and sometimes college-age people and not really often adults older than college age, but every so often the question is raised, uh, the question is asked, what am I supposed to do with my life? And it seems as though that question carries a fair amount of anxiety about it. That people get very worried about that question. What am I supposed to do with my life? And we're often, um, we live almost the first 18 years of our life doing what people tell us to do. And then when you hit 19 or a little bit later that, than that, when people finish college in their early 20s, they're kind of used to the routine of other people telling them what to do. And that, that's kind of a muscle that they haven't worked out or maybe don't even know that they have. And so sometimes when we get to this question of what am I supposed to do with my life, we're waiting for other people to tell us what to do. But that's not really how life is done. So what I would like to do is try to answer this question. What are we here to do? I don't want to answer it, but I want to give at least a few guiding thoughts that can maybe help you to answer that question really well. Okay? So it's really fascinating to me that I, uh, 
have been through so many different church circles and been around people that love to talk about what inspires them, okay? Which is a, a very roughshod definition of spirituality. What are the things that inspire you? And we don't often let our spiritualities influence the way that we view ourselves or what we're supposed to be hearing, what we're here to do. So that tells me we're missing out on some, some big wisdom there. So if you don't mind, I'm going to share some things that were once shared with me. Okay. If you were to go back and read the New Testament, you might find that the whole of church tradition, the, the biggest uh, contributions from the Jesus movement, have been how to read the New Testament well. Well, if you were to become a student and maybe even just casually read it on your own, just once a week or whenever, you might find that Jesus is one of those unique figures in human history that people have talked about since, but they seem to keep getting new insights from the same old texts. Well, I would like to share with you three job descriptions that Jesus had, okay? So uh, across some of the big name thinkers and people who have reflected on the New Testament, they like to say that Jesus was, one, a prophet, two, a priest, and three, a king. Now, what does that mean? Um, there were figures before Jesus came along, figures in the Old Testament and even some other ones in between when the Testaments were written, there were some failed figures that were supposed to be really good prophets and they botched it. There were people that were supposed to be really good priests and they botched it. And then there were really impacting kings that also kind of botched it. And so here comes this little Jewish carpenter from the Sea of Galilee area who fulfills these three roles in a deep and profound way that people have not done. So let's break this down. Um, sometimes I have conversations with people who are outside of the Christian circle, okay, outside of church life, and that's really refreshing for me, in all honesty. I thoroughly enjoy meeting people outside of the Christian bubble. In some sense, because they are more playful sometimes when it comes to talking about these ideas. So if you are from outside of church circles, or even within, let's try to come up with a different way of saying prophet, priest, and king. And what I'd like to say, if I were to reword those three roles into a single description for Jesus, it would be, he was a reverent troublemaker with a crown in his pocket. So let me say that again. He was a reverent troublemaker with a crown in his pocket. So I'm going to break that down, okay? Because this definition that 
Jesus was a prophet, priest, and a king in a way that other people before had maybe failed to do. This description applies to us. Maybe not to the same extent, but I think it's a general calling that's given to all of humanity. What are we here to do? Every one of us are here to be reverent troublemakers with crowns in our pockets. So like I said, let me break this down. Reverent. This has to do with being a priest. If Jesus was a priest and he led the way, there are passages in the New Testament that talk about us being priests as well. And so what does it mean to be reverent at all times? Okay, That means that we are to remember that there is such a thing as sacred or special. That it is a part of being alive to find the sacred in everything, even the mundane and the ordinary. Do you find watering your garden a special activity, something that's sacred? Can you listen for the way that the whole universe is humming with reverence? And can you be a part of it? I think part of being a priest, part of being a priest just like Jesus means that we know that sacred or special exists, even just as categories. Maybe we can't find it everywhere, but we know that they exist. But then also... To be reverent and to be a priest means to help people reconcile with themselves, with their families, with nature, and then maybe to see that, that God is already on their side, not against them. You see, every single one of us maybe have an internal voice that tells us, okay, I need to learn how to forgive myself. I need to get along with my family and just learn how to love them well. I need to live my life in such a way that it doesn't stamp out the nature around me. And yes, I need to remember that God is with me and for me, not against me. But sometimes we need an external voice, right? You can't always tell yourself these things, and so we rely on others to remind us of these truths. Maybe we are here to help one another reconcile with themselves, with families, with the world around them, and then with God again. So that's reverent. But Jesus also was a troublemaker, and so maybe we're supposed to be troublemakers, right? So the idea of a troublemaker is maybe my modernizing of the phrase or the word, the category of being a prophet. You see, the prophets were the ones that were around to give and to speak hopeful critique of the world around them. The prophets were the one who were there to call all things by their truthful name. So the prophets, when they saw injustice, they would call it injustice, and they wouldn't be able to dress it up or to name it anything other than injustice. That It was their job to speak critique of the systems around them and the culture, their neighborhoods, the people who were in power. But they also had to speak hope. 
You see, for you and I to fulfill being a prophet, maybe in a minor way, similar to the way that Jesus was, it means that we can't be cynics. You see, the difference between a cynic and a prophet is that the cynic has critiques, but they forget how to have hope that things can be different or that things can improve. The prophets, though, they're not cynics because they still maintain hope at the end of the day that things can be different, even after they name the injustices and the things that need to change all around to them. It's fascinating to me that the prophets were the ones that were called crazy people. <laughs> and so what does that mean for today? Maybe you and I are supposed to be troublemakers in such a way that the larger culture might think us kind of crazy for not giving in to the status quo. That we speak hopeful critique at all times and in all places, and most of all, within ourselves. So let's go to the last one. When I say that Jesus had a crown in his pocket, it means saying that, that Jesus knew he was royalty in a deep and profound way, but he didn't flaunt it, didn't walk around with his chin up. There was humility in that. And so what if we are supposed to have an element of our own lives that, that does the same? Do we have crowns in our pockets? You see, we each have inherent dignity. In fact, we each have dignity that we may have forgotten about ourselves or dignity that's been pretty beat up and put down by other people. But if you read the New Testament, Jesus seems to sometimes sit back and just watch other people peacocking. You know, walking around, fluffing up their feathers and trying to look impressive. He largely let people try to impress one another. But Jesus didn't seem to flaunt it and kept his crown in his pockets. What if we're supposed to do the same? You and I bear the mark, the reflection of the divine that somehow beneath all of our mistakes and our missteps we never stop reflecting God and yet sometimes we forget that reality we forget that we just have that happening and so then we spend the rest of our lives trying to impress one another because we've forgotten our inherent dignity so what a great phrase is that with crowns in our pockets. So let's go back to the question. What are we here to do? And especially if you have like a, a path that's centered on Jesus or takes a lot of its cues and inspiration from the person of Jesus. Here's my answer. We all all of us, we are here to be reverent troublemakers with crowns in our pockets.
Ooh, is that good? Right? So of all these titles that God has given us, we don't necessarily have to think that we have to live up to these titles. Okay? As if we need to always grade ourselves against these titles and think that we're failing or not failing. But rather, to be a prophet, priest, and king or queen in our neighborhoods and in our towns, these are, these are just realities that we can grow into. Not necessarily live up to, but we can grow into them. Each one of these, being a prophet, a priest, or king, a reverent troublemaker with a crown in our pocket, there might be one of those three that we need to work on that we need to grow a little bit, that we need to mature a little bit more into. And that's totally fine. However, if you notice, and this is one of the best things I wanted to get to, when we try to answer this question, what are we here to do? Uh, I said I wasn't necessarily going to answer it for you, and I really still haven't. But what I've did, what I have done is given you a framework or at least three guiding principles to help you answer that question for yourself. I can't tell you what you are here to do specifically, but I think that these are three roles that we are here to fulfill. But the best part is you have the ability to be a reverent troublemaker with a crown in your pocket in a way that matches you and your individual personality and preferences and gifts and opinions and talents and geography and language, <laughs> everything. Because God doesn't want carbon copies of himself. You already have the reflection of God happening from you as a person. And that's a reality for you to grow into, not live up to, but to grow into. And how great that you have the ability, and so do I, and so does everyone else, to remember that there is such a thing as sacred. To help one another reconcile with themselves and one another and the world around them. To speak hopeful critique. And to remember their inherent dignity. How great is it that we can do all of those things according to our own personhood. Our own personality. Because remember, whatever the New Testament writers meant by the kingdom of God, okay, that's a it's an interesting phrase. That's a man word, a man-centric word, kingdom, paired right next to God, the kingdom of God. It's like two things, two ideas being sandwiched together. Whatever the New Testament writers meant by that, here you go. Anytime we increase the good, the true, the beautiful, or the amount of love in the world, we are helping to lower heaven here. Let me say that again. Anytime 
we increase the good, the true, the beautiful, or the amount of love in the world, we are helping to lower heaven. That right there might be the mission statement of all of us as reverent troublemakers with crowns in our pockets. I know I've said that phrase a whole bunch, but it's so good. So what are we here to do? That's a great question. And if you're asking that question, that means you're already well on the way to living into your own personhood, your reality, your calling in this life. Because unfortunately, many of us go through life without ever even asking that question, what do I have to offer? You see, men and women and children and everyone else, they've all got something special and unique that they have to give to the world. The male view of the world is good, but it's it doesn't quite have the same lenses that the female view of the world does. And so do the children and the marginalized or the oppressed or the poor. Every one of us have something to offer. And it's really unfortunate when we don't allow one another to live into that reality of being a prophet, priest, and royalty in our own neighborhoods. So I'm going to ask you to do a few things. One, try to live into this reality. Grow into it yourself. Two, encourage other people to live into this reality. And the beautiful thing is, and this is kind of scandalous, even if they're not people that read the Bible on a regular basis or go to church all the time, they too can still be a prophet and a priest and a royalty in a way that matches their own personality. And this might be a conversation for another time, but maybe the New Testament writers are okay with saying that the kingdom of God is even being built by non-Christians. Because even non-Christians help to increase the good, the beautiful, the true, and the loving in the world. And so how can we help one another do just that every day? So, what are we here to do? We are here to remember that there is such a thing as sacred to help one another reconcile. We are here to speak hopeful critique of the society and the world around us. And we are here to remember and to help restore one another's inherent dignity. That sounds like a great definition of what it means to be human. And all of that's taken from the rich uh, tradition of the church for thousands of years. So go have a conversation with someone about these things. Even if it's something that you disagreed with, that's totally fine. But get the ball rolling and help one another live into these realities. Okay. So may you 
be courageous enough and trust enough to live into these titles. And may you have the graciousness and the compassion to help those around you live up to these definitions, these descriptions. Okay. I'm going to say the phrase one more time because it's so good to me. (laughs) I really enjoy it. So may you today go and be in your own way a reverent troublemaker with a crown in your pocket, okay? And go and increase the amount of good, the amount that is true, increase the amount of beautiful, and increase the amount of love in this world. Because I'm fairly certain that is exactly what this odd Jewish carpenter rabbi from Galilee Jesus would want. Okay? Cheers, and until next time. Bye.